0: Ganondorf is causing trouble on Death Mountain, AGAIN! This is Legendary Adventures, a Legend of Zelda playthrough podcast. This week we travel seven years into the future to save the Gorons from becoming a dragon's dinner. With all three spiritual stones collected, all that remains is to head to the Temple of Time and open the Door of Time. But this is an open-world game, so why not take some time to mess around? There's a couple of things that I did before ending the first act of the game. Once Link has all three spiritual stones in his possession, the Running Man appears in Hyrule Field. He's a Hyrulean with brown hair dressed in white, and true to his name, he runs non-stop all day. He will not speak while he runs, but once night falls, the Running Man will finally take a break. Speaking to him, he mentions wild rabbits were once found in Hyrule, but not anymore because of overhunting. The running man says he wants to become a rabbit. That's the hint we need to sell him the bunny hood from the Happy Mask shop. I understand there's no set amount for what he will pay. He will pay until Link's wallet is full. I really didn't get much out of it. But that wasn't really a problem though, because I found myself at my rupee limit often. Completing the sale at the Happy Mask shop ends the quest. Players are given the Mask of Truth, which allows them to talk to Gossip Stones spread around Hyrule. However, its use is limited to young Link. There are other masks that you can borrow and play around with as well. I personally don't mess around with them much. At this point, as we're moving into the second act, you're going to spend less time as a child while moving through the main quest. And I just don't mess around with it all that much. In the center of Hyrule Field sits Lon Lon Ranch. This is the home to Talon and Malon, the father and daughter pair that we met in Castletown and the castle earlier this season. The ranch is famed for its milk and horses. In the ranch house, we'll find Talon. He's asleep again, but he can be awakened to play a minigame. In this game, he throws three super cuckoos in a group of regular chickens, and then challenges the player to find them. All the chickens look alike. Players can angle the camera to get a better idea of where these super cuckoos land. Players who find all three in a limited time limit will be awarded a bottle. Nice! In the barn, players will find Ingo, Talon's employee. In a bit of foreshadowing, he complains about how hard he works and says Talon is lazy. Ingo says he should be in charge of the ranch. In the corral behind the barn and the house, Link finds Malin. She's singing along with the musical theme for the ranch. This is Epona's song. The music of the ranch has sort of a lazy, country-tinged flavor to it. This seems to be in part through the influence of Shigeru Miyamoto, as is Malin's singing. In a 1998 interview translated on Glitterberry's Game Translations, Miyamoto said, I've always been a fan of country music, including people like Emmylou Harris. So I insisted on having a songstress in the game. I changed the ranch girl Malin into a songstress so the horses were attracted to her because of her song. While the horses are attracted to Malin, the horse who shares a name with the tune is skittish. It shies away from Link. After talking to Malin a couple of times, Link can accompany her as she sings. This teaches the players Epona's song. When played, Epona will now come running to Link. This visit to the corral will pay off later in this playthrough. When Link approaches the castle, the scene from his nightmare at the very start of the game plays out. It's slightly expanded with more details. The drawbridge opens. A white horse rushes past. Princess Zelda is on the horse. She throws something towards Link. Link then turns around to find that he's face to face with Ganondorf. He's frustrated Zelda seems to have escaped him. The villain then blasts Link with a magic spell and proceeds in the direction that Zelda traveled. In the moat, players will find the object that Princess Zelda threw towards Link, the titular Ocarina of Time. In a telepathic message left with the Ocarina, Zelda teaches the Song of Time and directs him to the temple. Inside town, there are several citizens who will note something fishy is happening. They mention that something happened to the castle, Some notice Ganondorf's black horse, but not everyone sees to be keyed into the fact that something dramatic just happened. In the back alley, players can find a soldier who is gravely injured. I didn't know about this soldier for years. I never came back here for any particular reason. He seems to be here primarily to point players to the Ocarina of Time if they missed it. He says Zelda had something she wanted to give Link, and urges him, if he has it, to go to the Temple of Time before promptly dying. Entering the Temple of Time, players can place the spiritual stones and play the Song of Time to open the Door of Time, revealing the Master Sword in its pedestal. Link summons his inner King Arthur and pulls the sword out. Twist! Ganondorf was following what Link and Zelda were doing, and now, thanks to their efforts, he can enter the Sacred Realm to obtain the Triforce. Link wakes up seven years in the future. He's greeted by Rauru. Raru explains that Link was not old enough to wield the Master Sword. So his spirit was sealed for seven years until he grew to an adult. Raru further explains that during those seven years Ganondorf used the power of the Triforce to conquer Hyrule. But hope isn't lost. If Link can find the other sages, the combined power of the hero and the sages can defeat Ganon. Quick note here that Raru is yet another reference to Zelda 2. He's named for a town that for many players will be their first in the game. It's located just east of North Castle. After returning to the Temple of Time, Link meets Sheik. Sheik has blonde hair and wears a mask obscuring their face. Sheik tells Link they're a member of the Sheikah tribe and directs him to five temples to find the sages. One in a deep forest, one on a high mountain, one under a vast lake, one within the house of the dead, one inside a goddess of the sand. While players are first pointed to the forest temple, they're also told that they don't have the necessary equipment to get inside, so they'll have to head to Kakariko village first. Exiting the Temple of Time, players are greeted with a dramatic depiction of life under Ganondorf's rule. The light is dim, the sky is dark and dramatic, Death Mountain has ominous clouds swirling around the peak of the volcano, Castletown lies in ruins, re walk the streets. But upon exiting Castletown and crossing the moat, the lighting changes from that dramatic darkness to the light that we knew in the past. We will see changes to the world under Ganondorf's rule all over, but Castletown is the most dramatic, and the shift in lighting is perhaps our first hint toward that. Many of the residents of Castletown from the past now have a home in Kakariko Village. The building that was under construction in the past is now completed and is home to the shooting gallery game. Not everyone from Castletown can be found here, hinting at the dark fate that some residents met. There are a few characters who hint where players should go next. The first are the Laughing Men from Castletown. The one who triggered the increased security at the castle earlier in the game now says he saw the ghost of Dompe the Gravekeeper rising from the graveyard. Another man inside Impa's house also mentioned Dompe's ghost can be seen in the graveyard behind the village. As players enter the graveyard, they'll find Dompe's grave on the raised portion to the left. As with the grave which held the hidden Hylian shield, there are plants growing in front of Dompé's grave, indicating it can be moved. After pulling the grave back, players can leap down a hole to find the ghost of Dompei. He challenges Link to a race. Players will have to chase him through a course of twisting hallways and forking paths. Dompei throws fire down, seemingly both as an aid and a hindrance to the player. If players can keep up with him to the end of the course, he will reward them with the hookshot. There are other things to see and do in Kakariko Village and hints to collect for later, but let's head to the dungeon. The game has heavily pointed players to the forest, but we don't actually need to go there. Again, Death Mountain was dramatically displayed, drawing players' attention to it. So, let's head there. With the hookshot, we have everything we need to complete the dungeon. Some people may think the bow is required, but it is not. The game intends for players to go to the Fire Temple only after getting the bow. Players will even find a reference to the bow inside, and there's one room that requires the bow to enter. But this room is ultimately optional, it just contains the dungeon map. Players will find that Goron Village appears to be empty, save for one Goron who rolls around endlessly. After stopping this Goron with a bomb, we learn he shares a name with the player's link. He is the son of Darunia, and he's named for you. He explains Ganondorf captured most of the Gorons, and he is one of the few still free. Ganondorf took them to the Fire Temple where he resurrected a legendary dragon from a dark part of the Gorons past. Ganondorf plans to feed the captured Gorons to the dragon. Darunia has gone to the temple to face the dragon. The young Goron opens the door to Darunia's room for you. He says to move a statue in the room to get to the temple. Players can also get a Goron tunic from this young Goron which will allow them to stay within the intense heat of the volcano while it's equipped. As we approach the temple, Sheik appears. They offer up some words of wisdom and a new song. This song, we're told, is about strengthening friendship. It is the Bolero of Fire. The Bolero is actually one of seven fast travel songs in the game. Each fast travel point has a different song associated with it. Six of the seven fast travel points are located outside of dungeons. Prior to this playthrough, I rarely ever used the fast travel songs. I don't think the location of most of them actually ends up being all that helpful. However, I use these fast travel points more than I ever have during this playthrough. Now to the Fire Temple. Let's start by talking about the music. It's well known that there are two different musical themes for the Fire Temple. People playing either versions 1.0 or 1.1 will hear a different theme from everyone playing a later version of the game. Here's the original theme. The chanting heard is a combination of a few different samples from various Muslim chants. According to YouTuber Thomas Game Docs, it contains small portions of the Quran and the phrase Allahu Akbar, which is God is great. Here is the revised fire temple theme. You can hear that a synth choir was used to replace the original chant for many years. Many commentators assumed the music was changed following some backlash from the Muslim community, but a now defunct game website GameTrailers.com, dug into the files of the different versions of the game and found the ROMs for each version were actually completed before the game was released, meaning public feedback was not considered before making the change. The public had no way of providing feedback for a game that had yet to be released. In September 2001, Nintendo Power adjusted the change of music in response to a letter. At the time, they wrote, The original music of Ocarina of Time did have choir music in the Fire Temple, but it was removed from later versions. The mysterious Fire Temple choir music resembles a holy Muslim chant, and while of course the game's creators didn't intend for that to happen, it was similar enough that Nintendo changed the music. In a later statement to game trailers, Nintendo reps said that the chant came from a commercially available sound sample library, and the developers did not know that it contained Islamic references. Once the developers found out, the music was changed, but some copies of the game had already been printed before the change was made. Let's get to the temple itself and the design of the Fire Temple. In a 1998 interview translated on Glitterberry's Game Translations, Eiji Onuma said, For the Fire Temple, we created a huge dungeon. Our aim was to allow the player to play around and enjoy the temple, something that I believe we were successful at. I have to admit that I've struggled a bit with how to arrange my thoughts on the dungeon. My goal is not to just describe my playthrough through a dungeon step by step, but to give highlights. But honestly, here I think a more detailed description might work better. The temple itself is fire theme, which is perhaps unsurprising. The dungeon is in the middle of a volcano. Layered on top of that fire theme is a jail theme. The dungeon is filled with gel cells which players must open in order to free gorons and collect needed keys and helpful items i wanted to describe this temple as a series of largely unconnected challenges but that's not really true the dungeon introduces a number of challenges which actually build on top of each other with increasing difficulty it spans five floors and is ultimately made up of two looping paths the first one is a dungeon spanning vertical loop that goes up all five floors before returning to the first The second one is contained on the first floor and is much shorter. As players first enter the dungeon they'll be forced through a door on the upper left. Two doors to the right are locked and a third door on the bottom left leads to a dead end meaning there's really only one way to go. In the next room players meet Darunia. He's going into the boss room to face the dragon and asks Link as his sworn brother to free the other Gorons. Darunia mentions he doesn't have the legendary hammer which was used to defeat the dragon in the past. But he feels he must go forward all the same. So within this room all the goals of the dungeons are outlined right from the start. The first is to free the Gorons, the second is to get the hammer, and the third is to drop a pillar from the ceiling to gain access to the boss room. The majority of the first floor is made up of a series of platforming challenges. Here in this first room we have to jump across a lava filled chamber to rescue a Goron and get a key. With this key we can now loop back through the first room and go through that door on the upper right. This leads to a second, more complex platforming challenge. There are a number of moving platforms, some will start to sink as you stand on them. There are two small keys to collect from gel cells, each held on the complete opposite side of the room. After pocketing both keys, we can move on from the first floor. We'll go through a room which stands out as a true highlight to the dungeon to me, the elevator room. This is a room which only works in 3D. Players must climb a scaffold to reach a block then push the block onto a geyser of fire to create an elevator to the second floor. The second floor introduces crystal switches and timed challenges. We'll revisit this concept multiple times through the dungeon. Players hit the switch to lower a barrier of fire, then quickly start to climb to the third floor before the barrier reignites. The third floor is primarily made up of two maze challenges. The first is a stone maze filled with rolling boulders. Players first navigate on the ground, dodging boulders and freeing Gorons to get two keys on the opposite sides of the maze. This maze is tackled a second time, but in the form of a platforming challenge. Players must move around on top of the walls of the maze to reach more trapped Gorons and collect two more keys. In between the upper and lower paths of the stone maze, players will pass through a room with a narrow bridge. The first floor can be seen below, and it is possible to fall if you're not careful. I don't recall ever falling before, but I did purposely drop down on this playthrough just to confirm it can be done. The narrow bridge room contains two doors. One door is to the map room which requires the bow, there is an eye switch above it. I didn't have the bow, so I did not enter that room. The other door leads to another platforming challenge. This time a wall of flame chases players across platforms. This room looks scary, but the flame wall actually doesn't do all that much damage. Through the room we can reach the upper part of the stone maze. And after completing that part of the maze, we can pass through a locked door on the western wall of the flame wall room to find a second maze. The second maze is a maze of fire. The twist is you can't see the walls until you get near enough to fire producing posts. Players have to cautiously make their way through, avoiding traps to reach a door, and then cross through a central room to reach the other side of the maze room. From there, they can proceed to the final challenge of the floor, the mini boss. This is actually the first of two mini-boss fights within the dungeon. Both fights are against the same creature, the Flare Dancer. The reuse of mini-bosses is alive and well in Ocarina of Time, but the twist is that we find most of the reused bosses within the same dungeon. We first saw this concept back in Dodongo's Cavern. The Flare Dancer is a small round creature which surrounds itself with a much larger body made of flame. It skates around the room. Players need to remove it from the flame body, then hit it with the sword to deal damage. Bombs can be used, but I believe the hookshot is the better option. As the flare dancer takes damage, its flames will change color, indicating it's getting weaker until it is defeated. The fourth and fifth floors represent two more time challenges. On the fourth floor, we again find a crystal switch, which we must manipulate in order to lower a flame barrier and climb to the fifth floor. I found a bomb is necessary to complete this challenge. On the 5th floor, we step on a floor switch to extinguish a fire barrier, and then run up a narrow spiral staircase to reach a chest before the flames reignite. It's possible to fall through a hole in the center and go down multiple floors and have to work your way back up again. That happened to me. It's kind of a pain, but the reward for reaching the chest before the flames reignite is the dungeon item, the Megaton Hammer. The loop then starts back down the dungeon. Players are returned to the fire maze room where they can hit a second block which drops the pillar that the player needs to reach the boss room. The boss door is now accessible, but we don't have the boss key. So it's time for one final loop before facing the boss. Players must return to the first room of the dungeon and use the hammer on a statue on the lower right door to open it. Players then move through three combat challenges, including a rematch with the flare dancer to reach a Goron cell that has the boss key inside. We then loop back to the start and we can finally face the boss. <laughs> the boss here is Volvagia. This dragon is another reference to Zelda 2. In that game, the boss of the Hidden Palace was a dragon called Barba in the North American release. But the Zelda Encyclopedia suggests it's called Volvagia in Japan. In Zelda 2, Barba, or Volvagia, moved in and out of pits of lava and breathed fire at Link. Here, that idea is adapted for a 3D space. The arena is round with multiple small pools of lava spread throughout. Volvagia rises out of a pool of lava and flies around the room, either breathing fire or attempting to hit Link with falling rocks. The dragon will eventually dive back into one of the lava pits and then emerge from one and lean forward on the ground. It performs an attack as it emerges But afterwards, players have a chance to hit Volvagia with the hammer to make it vulnerable to sword strikes. Yeah, it's another Zelda version of Whack-A-Mole. We first saw this Whack-A-Mole concept in Link's Awakening. After a few rounds, Volvagia falls awarding a heart container. Link and Darunia are then transported to the Chamber of Sages where Link first met Rauru. Darunia awakens as a Sage and awards Link a Sage Medallion, reinforcing their bond as sworn brothers. Next week we return to Kokiri Forest to tackle the Forest Temple and awaken the Forest Sage. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider subscribing. Please also consider sharing this podcast with a friend. And thank you to everybody who's already subscribed. I'm Paul Riley. I'll see you next week.